you still what you're doing what you're doing in each life we thank you for what you did even over the last couple of days lord as uh, people set apart time uh, not just to learn but to uh, come into opportunities of encounter with you and that's all uh, when we talk about inner healing and uh, and elijah house and prayer ministry sessions lord they're just facilitated encounters with you you are the one that does the work you are the one that does the transforming but lord you choose to utilize your children in that process in the process of proclaiming the good news of who you are and what you've done and what you were doing lord you choose to use your children in uh, the expansion of your kingdom lord but Father, it comes from that place of us living in your love, resting into the fact that we've been called your children, Lord. So we thank you for the foundation that you've laid and for what you're building, Lord, in our lives, in this church community, Lord, in all the churches, in our region and in our nation, Father. And we do even now just, just speak a blessing, Lord, over your bride today. We speak a blessing over your bride, your church, that you are building and the gates of hell are not prevailing against. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. So we've been on a bit of a um, theme the last few times, at least, that I've uh, spoken to you, and, um, and just continuing on in that, and I want to talk about city transformation, which is, you know, a big, big deal transforming cities, but uh, hopefully by the end of today, you'll see how God has a, a plan, a desire to bring about transformation beyond just individuals, just people, but he actually has a desire to transform cities and nations and all of his creation. But it's important that when we understand even what the gospel is, and you've heard me, if you're a regular here, if you're part of the family, talk about the gospel, and, uh, and maybe in some ways where we've uh, been raised with an understanding of the gospel that's maybe not, it's not wrong at all, but it's certainly not the, the biggest picture um, of the full story of what God is wanting to do and what he is doing uh, with his creation. And so where we oftentimes focus just on the, the little part of, of Jesus coming to earth, dying on a cross, raising again, and uh, that's, that's amazing. That's good news. Amen. It's good news, absolutely. Uh, but the story of the gospel, that this story of the good news starts way back in the beginning and it finishes, so it starts at creation and it finishes then at new creation when Jesus returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it's important that we understand this fuller picture of the gospel. Otherwise, um, I think we can kind of get a little bit, um, our focus and attention can be in the wrong place when it comes to our lives, when it comes to once we've received salvation even, as to what it means to live uh, for God. So I'm gonna give you a little rundown of the gospel. So the Bible relates how humanity and all of creation itself comes into being, then how it falls into destruction, how the creation and the people of God are redeemed by God in a decisive event in history, at the cross and the resurrection, there was a moment in history where God culminates all of His redemptive effort to begin and initiate His kingdom. And His plan is that everyone would be renovated, transformed spiritually, that there would be also physical transformation and eternal transformation. It is God's view of the human story from creation all the way into new creation. 
So as we read our Bibles, that's kind of why our Bibles start at Genesis and they end at Revelation. Um, if it was all just simply about what Jesus has done, then one gospel would be enough. And yet God has put together and pieced together the full picture of what it's all about. So I've got some little uh, pictures just to help you remember, maybe. So we start a creation. So God created a good world with good people in it, rightly and lovingly relating to and receiving life from Him. The world was good because God created everything and He created it in a covenantal, life-sustaining way. He created it morally good, physically good, spiritually good, and with God Himself as the source of all that life. Everything coming into that place, everything being sustained by God. That's what God created and it was good, the Bible says. And then we have the fall. So where humanity decided to trust in themselves instead of in God. So they rejected God's authority. If you have those little uh, images there, it's, it's probably, I don't know how much it's gonna help you, but there we go. Creation, fall. It wasn't an apple. It may have been an apple. We don't know, the Bible doesn't say. It was just a piece of fruit, but it looked good. So whatever piece of fruit you think of that you imagine looking good and tasting good, that's probably what it was. It's not that important, but people might argue that point. So they trusted in themselves instead of God. They rejected God's authority, God's love and God's relationship and they separated themselves from God and His eternal life. By doing this at the spiritual and moral level, humanity effectively severed the relationship of covenant love with God. Death resulted in every aspect of human life, moral death, spiritual death, relational death and physical death. God's goodness and justice require a judgment against evil in all forms and humanity now seems to be bound to that ultimate fate of punishment. But it gets better. So then we have creation, fall, and now we have redemption. God initiated a plan to rescue humanity and the physical universe from the now inevitable divine judgment for evil. So God initiates a plan and it is fulfilled in Jesus. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, He breathes His last breath and He says, it is finished. That was the work that He had come to accomplish. That work of redeeming, of bringing something back into ownership. When you redeem something, it's like you draw it back into ownership. So God at that moment of the cross redeems humanity back to Himself. And now we are in the restoration process. So God creates a new universe out of the old one, a new heavens and a new earth. He totally renovates both the invisible and visible realms in perfect beauty and harmony. So we are in that moment now of the restoration of all things the Bible talks about. So we haven't fully achieved it yet, but we are beginning. So we have a work where we are partnering with God. When you hear the words, the Great Commission, that God calls on to make disciples of all nations. It is a co-mission. So it's you and I partnering with God to disciple nations, to see His kingdom come and His will be done. We are partnering in with God in that process, amen? All right, so I preached a few weeks ago on discipleship and the end of discipleship is sonship. So the ultimate goal of us 
following Jesus, being transformed into his likeness, is that we would come into right relationship with God in a deeper experiential way. So when you say yes to Jesus, when you are born again by the Holy Spirit, you come into right relationship with God spiritually and positionally, but then there's this outworking of that salvation act. The Bible talks, you know, the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. So God is at work then in humanity, bringing that internal work to be an external work so that we can reflect who God is, the nature of the Father to creation, but also that we can rightly relate to Him. So the fruit of sonship is right relationship, great relationship, close relationship, the same relationship that Jesus experienced with the Father. John 17 says that we, His desire is that we would experience that same oneness with God. So that's a good benefit. I know we're sitting here going, yes, Brad, we get it. That's really good news. I don't, I'm not reading it in your faces. I'm not reading it in your cheers and hallelujahs and praise the Lord's, but I'm assuming it's all happening on the inside. You're, just, you're containing yourselves. Well done, everyone. Well done for, for containing, because you don't, you know, once you crack that open, it's just gonna spew out and just be chaos everywhere. So I appreciate you letting me finish by um, keeping all of your overwhelming emotions on the inside. You're very kind. So for us, it means close relationship with God, but for the world, it means redemption and restoration. So we get to experience this closeness with God, but if we leave it there, the world misses out on the fuller picture of what it is. Because it's not just that you would enjoy being a son in relationship to God, but you would enjoy being a son in the world and fulfilling and doing the same things that Jesus did proclaiming the good news of this kingdom, this rule and reign of Jesus coming to earth. So God's work of redemption starts at the individual level, but it ends with all of creation being redeemed. And I think this is important that we look at how we are expecting the world to end. When we talk about the end of the world, it's called eschatology. But having the right eschatology will determine how you live your life. Because if your eschatology, if your expectation is at the end, it's like, well, there's just gonna be this select few group of us good people and then all of those sinners out there and they're gonna face judgment or the goats are gonna be over there and I'm gonna be with the sheep over here and we're gonna be safe. But those goats are in big trouble because we can have, and I mean, sometimes this is kind of even the gospel that's proclaimed. It's like, you better, you better say yes to Jesus or one day he's gonna come back and you're gonna burn in hell for all eternity. Okay, so you better make the right choice. I'm not saying, I'm not making a statement. I, I, I do think that there is punishment, eternal punishment. So I'm not saying there is no hell. I think there is. Um, but I'm saying the point is not that we focus on the bad that's going to happen, that God's desire is that everyone would come into that redemptive relationship, that everyone would come into a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Christ. That's God's heart. God's heart, He's not looking to destroy the world, He's looking to redeem the world. Amen. Thank you. God is not looking to destroy the world, He's looking to redeem the world and He's looking to you and I to be part of that redemptive process. So when we look at the brokenness in the world, we think, oh, that's really bad. Don't worry, God's gonna sort that out one day is that, well, he might, and he might use you to sort that out. If the, the place that you live in is kind of maybe a bad neighbourhood, 
or a bad city, or if you were to live in a bad nation, the question is, oh man, I feel sorry for these people one day, they're gonna cop it from God. But the fact is God's looking at you saying, so what are you going to do to bring about transformation in this place? Transformation in your neighbourhood, transformation in your workplace. Are you standing back and being passive or you're actively engaged to say, I'm gonna shift the culture in this place. Sometimes, you know, I'll talk to people and maybe they've got a really bad boss. So then you just kind of moan and complain about how things are hard and, why, and how things are bad and what's all the things happening in the world or how bad your boss is or how bad your kids are or whatever it is that you're complaining about. But the question is, well, what are you gonna do about it? And what's God called you to do about it? What power do you have to, to bring about change? Well, none in yourself, but with the Holy Spirit, you have an infinite amount of power. You belong to the one who has all authority. You belong to the one who has all power, literally creative power to transform the world. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Correct. Both you and me. And me. Love it. Me. So it's important to understand that Christianity the good news is about us, but it's not just about us. And if we make Christianity all about us or all about even personal salvation, man, we just gotta get people saved. We're just gonna get them to pray a prayer and cross a line. We actually miss out on God's redemptive plan for all of creation. We are focusing on just on the individual and God's vision is much bigger to transform and redeem all of creation. But transformation is part of it, personal transformation. God transforms people and then He uses people to transform families, to transform neighbourhoods, to transform cities, to transform nations. Okay, so again, we don't wanna go the other end of the spectrum and then we just start working really hard, um, you know, in, in civil kind of projects to make the world better. We want transformation of individuals that leads to transformation of cities. It's why a, a group of people spent time here on Friday and Saturday seeking their own transformation. Saying, Lord, there's, there's things that, that I'm, I'm not walking in the fullness of my relationship with You. I'm not walking in freedom and life. I'm not walking in righteousness. I'm not experiencing the level of intimacy that I know that You have promised for me. So I'm gonna take responsibility. And as it says, Matthew 6.33, seek the Kingdom of God and righteousness. That's seeking the, the manifestation of His righteousness in your life. But we do that, not just so then, oh cool, I feel better about myself. So it's in order that I can be utilised more freely, more powerfully, more radically to transform the lives of those around me, to transform the culture of the city that I live in. Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 10, Verses eight to nine, he says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. So Jesus sends out the 72 into every town and neighbourhood that he was about to come. And he says, release my peace into that place, heal the sick there, that signs and wonders and proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
So this means the reality of heaven, the reality of God's rule and reign, the reality of God's kingdom is coming into a place because disciples of Jesus were going into that place. And the expectation is if, if that peace is received, if the kingdom is received in that place, then dwell there and see the manifestation of the kingdom come which is personal salvation. Yes, people getting saved, absolutely. But it's also the culture, the atmosphere, so much starts to change in that place. Revelation eleven fifteen 15 says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. So this is now looking at the end of time, but that's God's desire is that at one stage and our plan is that the kingdoms of the world would become the kingdoms of God. That's the work of redemption that Jesus is about. And that's the work of redemption that He invites you and I into. Amen? So as we are to carry the responsibility of seeing, again, not just our personal lives, not just the lives of the relationships around us, but actually looking at the places where we live to say, God, you have a heart and a desire to actually transform this place. That the city that we live in, the region that we live in, the state or the nation that we live in, your desire is that this place would begin to reflect the kingdom of God. It would be like heaven on earth, essentially is what it is. The kingdom of heaven coming to earth is like heaven coming to earth. God's plan is not for you to go to heaven, it's for heaven to come to earth. It's God's plan, that's, that's the Lord's prayer. What he prays, he prays out his desire that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the reality of heaven crashing into earth. Well, how does that happen? It happens by you and me carrying that responsibility and doing the things that Jesus did and actually having an expectation that his kingdom would come. I don't know about you, I get excited about that. That excites me. I don't know, you're bubbling with excitement on the inside. I can just feel it. It'll come out later maybe. So what does a transformed city look like? What are some things, some, some measurable things that we could notice about a transformed city? I think the first thing is that the atmosphere starts to change. Now this can be like, if you're more of a spiritual person, you know, or like a prophetic person, you go, oh, I get that. But I think even people who maybe you're not like super prophetically wired, like you don't see things in the spirit all the time. You get people in this community and they will, when we're worshiping and they see angels, and they see all sorts of cool stuff. I don't usually see that. Um, sometimes I feel things and experience things. Sometimes God, you know, God speaks to us all in different ways, okay? But there's been times where I've come into places and I've just noticed like, it just feels like peaceful. Could be you go into a town, it just feels peaceful and you go into another town, you go, oh, it just feels kind of dark and, and, and weird here. Anyone ever pick that sort of stuff up? Yeah, it just happens. But that is the atmosphere in that place. So this is when we talk about principalities and powers. Uh, you can look it up in, in Ephesians uh, chapter six, the apostle Paul talks about it. Um, but he talks about principalities and powers and you know these kind of spiritual entities. So that they're the ruling forces spiritually in a particular place. So we have a responsibility to displace those things when God calls us to intercede into those things. But the reality is the atmosphere in a place can change. I heard a story during the week, so um, I, I won't, no, I won't tell who it is. Anyway, someone, who's, you'll know who I'm talking about if you know the person, but they uh, got injured, uh, they're in hospital, and, uh, but they were, so the, and the 
husband and wife are in the hospital room, but they've been praying and inviting the kingdom into that place. And uh, yeah, is it okay to say? Yeah. Brad, Brad Holt had a motorbike accident last weekend, ended up in hospital. So, but Kylie was in there and she is relayed through just someone. Anyway, I just heard about it. I just hear things. Gossiping, we're just gossiping goodness, the goodness of God around the place is what's happening. Um, but I think it was a nurse that came in and was just like, man, this room is just so peaceful. And man, I wish all the rooms, you know, were, were like this. And so, and then Kylie, I think, was telling Jess, which Jess? Her daughter, Jess. Who's not, I'm looking over there and she's, she's gone. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's the kingdom of God coming. It's like just the, 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 they carry the presence of God. They're praying in that space. And the room fills with the peace of God. How amazing is that? To the degree that a nurse, and as far as I don't know, she doesn't know Jesus. She's not coming going, oh, you're Christians. Oh, of course it feels like that. She just comes in and she's experiencing the room feels like peace. That's exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do in Luke 10. Go out and release the shalom of God. It's like the perfection of God, the peace of God, the fullness of God into a place. But that's how, how simply it is. But the, the atmosphere over a city, over a town, over, over an area can start to change and start to feel, it just feels open, it feels peaceful, it feels right. And the, and the again, where do I, I'm not talking about that, but I'm just having a conversation with my brain. <laughs> the reality is people in, in regions where there are these territorial spirits, principalities and powers, they influence the way that people think. Okay? They influence the, the philosophy, the philosophical framework of, of a region, which is why oftentimes, particular neighbourhoods, there can be a lot of brokenness in a particular way. And, uh, and that can be a, a result of the principalities and powers over that region. So there's a spiritual stronghold, there's a spiritual bondage that exists there, but it's not just one person and maybe another person. It seems like the whole neighbourhood or that whole city can be a dark place can be a hard place. I know when we planted um, this church, we, we planted it in Quinana, and people would say, oh, that's the pastor's graveyard, they would call it. Because church after church would be planted there and no good fruit would come out. So we moved, no, not really. <laughs> and we saw great fruit and I'm still alive. Hallelujah. You feel, feel buried sometimes, but uh, it's all right. I broke through. Um, resurrection power. Um, but it was, it, was, it was fruitful and life-giving and awesome. And my hope and expectation is that something of the atmosphere in the city shifted by our presence there. Romans 14, 17 talks about the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So where righteousness starts to manifest, where peace starts to manifest, where there's joy in a place and freedom and life, that is the atmosphere changing in a place. The law and order can be different in a place. So reduce a reduction in, in crime rates in an area. Safety in the streets. Uh, Isaiah 58 talks about this. Um, it talks about, uh, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Uh, you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. So you imagine if out the presence of our church community in this city and in this region started to shift the atmosphere in a way that, and it starts to then change the law and order as people's individual lives get transformed, but also as principalities and powers are displaced. And then all of a sudden the crime rate starts to shift. People start to find safety. Like I can walk the streets here and not be scared. 
But again, we can look to the government to do this. We can look to the council. We can look to the police to take care of these things. But I think the the expectation is that the church is supposed to be the ones that govern. When we start operating as the ecclesia of God, the government of God, that we are the ones who should be shifting things to change things, not going, oh, we just need more police officers or they just need to make better laws. It's like, no, no, we need to start being the church being the leaven of the kingdom, start operating and praying and interceding and expecting that the atmosphere is gonna shift, expecting that lives are gonna be transformed, that our neighbours are gonna meet Jesus and things are gonna start to change and transform. It's our responsibility. Now, do we want, it's great to have police officers, great to have good law and order and, and good councils and government, all of those sorts of things. But if we are the ones relegating that responsibility to them, We've, we've stepped out of our role to govern. This is again, I've, I've said about it before. When we get to a point where we're expecting that the government is going to establish righteousness in our nation, we've stepped out of our place of responsibility. And I'm not saying that the church should be over politics. That's again, getting into the political realm. I'm saying the atmosphere of a city, the atmosphere of a nature, the presence of God, the kingdom of God in a place starts to shift the culture. And then the culture starts to say, this is who we want in power. These are the laws that we want in this city. And it starts to shift in that way. So there's this influence of the kingdom of God, but it's not because, oh, we just need lots of Christians in political places of power. Great to have Christians in politics. I'm not speaking against that. But I'm saying if, we're, if, that, if our expectation is that's what's gonna change things, I think we've, we've missed it. And I think that's why we find ourselves in the place that we're in as a nation even and rules that you might go, oh, that's not very, that doesn't seem like what Jesus would do. I say, well, it's not. But we also haven't taken our place in prayer and in our behaviour and in being the leaven of the kingdom. City transformation looks like freedom from bondage and sin. So addiction rates dropping. Mental health issues being lifted off people's lives. I've got some strategies here, but this is all related to why we do some of the things that we do as a community, why we value what we value. Again, people gave up two days, Friday and Saturday, all throughout the day, to minister to others, to get them into a place of freedom, not just so that person has freedom, but because it's part of God's bigger plan of transforming this city and this region and this nation. City transformation looks like people being free from bondage, free from addiction, free from sin. So less sin manifesting in a place when the kingdom of God comes, that's what happens. When the kingdom of God comes to a city, it becomes thriving and prosperous. So I'm not saying it's all like, you know, fancy cars and things like that, but that there's, there's the, the poverty rates drop. People come into a place of, of sustainability and prosperity, goodness and life, and people begin to thrive in every aspect. It's financially abundant, but also financially generous. It's what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes to a place. It's people honouring the name of Jesus, not just Christians, but also non-Christians. When people, then they start looking at the church and saying, I'm so glad the church is here in our city. I'm so glad that those Christians are here because if they weren't here, our city wouldn't be the same. And they might say, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not interested in following Jesus, but I'm so glad the church is here. 
It's when the culture and values of a community start reflecting the culture of the kingdom and the values of the kingdom. So again, it's not, the kingdom isn't limited to the people who would call themselves Christians. Like God doesn't limit, say, I'm only gonna give an experience of the kingdom just to people who are Christians, just, just to people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is very clear. When He talks about proclaiming the gospel, like scattering seed in every area, I talk about that, you know, when it talks about seeds scattered on the rocky ground and some on the, on the soil with weeds and some on the fertile soil. The point of that parable isn't to tell you where you need to plant your seed. It's to say, you need to scatter your seed everywhere. Everywhere that you go, be proclaiming and demonstrating the reality of my kingdom. It's gonna sprout up in some places. It's gonna not sprout up in other places. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to release the kingdom of God everywhere that you go. But the kingdom can come to a place without every single person being a Christian. So that's why we're called just everywhere that we go. You imagine all the people that Jesus healed, all the people that He talked about the kingdom to. When He was at the cross, a handful of people. After His resurrection, still only a small group of people out of the probably tens of thousands of people, not just that he spoke to, but he literally laid his hands upon and healed. They saw people raised from the dead. I have seen crazy miracles happen to people who don't know Jesus. I've seen more miracles happen to non-Christians than to Christians. Um, Radical transformation, delivered from demons, all sorts of crazy spiritual stuff, and they haven't chosen to follow Jesus. And yet they experience the kingdom of God. You better believe it. Um, but then that is the reality that people still have a choice to, to choose to follow Him or to not. But the kingdom of God comes where we release it and we bring it about. <laughs> That's where the kingdom of God comes. So you can have a whole city and maybe there could be a handful of Christians in that place. There could be a handful of Christians in a neighbourhood and yet that whole city starts to, or that whole neighbourhood starts to be changed and transformed to reflect more like heaven. And yet maybe many people don't know why. We want them to know why, but it's not required for somebody to know the name of Jesus in order to experience the reality of His kingdom. Amen? All right. Strategies, how can we see this city transformed? Hugely important one is prayer and worship and intercession. Now you might be someone who, who, again, as I said before, you might see in the spirit, you might be super prophetic and all that sort of stuff. That's great, that's fantastic. But you don't need to be that in order to have faith that God is moving and working, okay? Faith is the assurance of the unseen. So faith is literally for those who cannot see. And yet you have an assurance that I know that something is happening. This is what happened to me. I didn't grow up in the church. And then my early church experience from when I was 16 to 27 was not a charismatic one, okay? It was not like super Holy Spirit stuff. I was faithful and I loved God and I served Him and I was, you know, I had received the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't like a kind of crazy out there charismatic experience. Um, That's okay. Um, When I met the Holy Spirit in a more radical way, what I knew was I need to get around people who are friends with the Holy Spirit, 
who clearly I can see because when they pray for people, people get healed. When they pray for people, awesome stuff happens. When they, you know, like they're just, they're moving in the gifts or the graces of the Spirit. So I would, I would travel. We travelled around the country to, to go to different places. I went to every kind of charismatic conference I could find just to be and to, to get around them and to, to be in the prayer line and get prayed by these people. Now, again, I know it's the same Holy Spirit, but you know, just sometimes when the Holy Spirit's moving, when someone is, is anointed by the Holy Spirit in particular ways, and I was like, I'm just gonna get around these people as much as I can. And, and I would, and I'd be like so excited. I'm out there, I've traveled all the way across the nation to, to be here and they're gonna pray for me and oh, what's gonna happen, Lord? And nothing happened. But I knew by faith, and now I would go in and say, God, I, will, I receive whatever you have for me. I know you're gonna give me, and by faith, I know that I'm receiving what you have for me, Lord. But I'd go, and then I'd go to the next place, to the next conference, and again, I'd be there, you know, all these famous, all famous itinerant preachers, and I'd stand there and I wouldn't receive it. Now, I've been wiped out by the Holy Spirit plenty of times since then, but I knew for me, I was like, I just had to get around these people. So when it comes to prayer and worship and intercession, you don't have to be this like super spiritual person. Your prayers matter to God and your prayers matter to this region and this nation. Your worship matters, your intercession matters because it shifts things. Things that you might not see, impact that you might never know about. What we do in the, in the prayer room here throughout the week, and, and again, every time that we gather together in the prayer room, it's different. God does something different. There's a different focus and different attention. But I know that things are shifting in this church community, in this region and beyond. And yet, who knows what the impact is? But by faith, we know. So it could be that we spend time interceding on behalf of, of churches um, that, that you know, their evangelism would explode. And who knows? That, and then all of a sudden, there's a fire that ignites in a church or, or a principality is torn down and people are getting free from addiction and, and it's happening. But it doesn't matter. We not, might not be seeing the fruit, but God's seeing the fruit in His kingdom, in other churches. This is what it is to intercede and to be in that place. That's why we, we prioritise having a time where we're just loving on God and praying and sometimes things start to shift, shifting in us, shifting in the atmosphere, shifting, and who knows how far it goes. But when we do those things, things start to change. So we need to understand how powerful your prayer is. How powerful, when we gather together, there's, there is power in that agreement and that corporate worship and that corporate prayer and that corporate intercession. It does, it shifts things and it moves things. I love, you know, reading, you know, because from the different prayer rooms at times, the leaders will write up just what they prayed about and thinking, man, over the last few years, how many things have been prayed into and interceded for that would not have happened if we hadn't set apart time to do that? And again, the prayer room's not a special place. It's just a time and a place where people choose together to intentionally pursue those things. But you can do it any time, day or night. I hear Bethia told a story on, on Tuesday. She just wakes up interceding from a dream, you know, and like, oh, well, I'm just been interceding in that dream at that time. It can happen any time, any place, but it's so important because it has an impact in the spiritual atmosphere over a city. You might have simple prayers. You might not go into super radical encounters or trances like the Apostle Paul did. It's like it doesn't mean your prayer isn't powerful. 
doesn't mean your words, your faithful words of declaration aren't shifting things. Have faith that they are. We see a city transformed by making disciples of Jesus. Now this again, I just wanna ask you not as a weighty expectation, but as an invitation into what God calls you to. Who are you discipling? If the answer is no one, it's like, cool. Would, can I encourage you to ask Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit to say, who would you like me to disciple? It's a command of God. You're not gonna get whipped or beaten if you don't do it. <laughs> so don't get, have any concern about saying, oh yeah, that's what you've commanded me to do, Jesus. Well, I wanna do that. So would you open up the doors? Give me someone. You might say, I don't know much. The chances are you know more than somebody else. You don't need to be a Christian for any amount of time. That you can say, I can invite someone on the journey with Jesus alongside of me. It's so simple, just leading people with Jesus together. But as disciples are being made, that is again how individuals are transformed. But it's not just again, oh, I need to disciple you so you can pray a prayer so that one day you'll go to heaven. So no, no, we disciple people and we want them to come into a, a knowledge of Jesus, not just that one day they'll go to heaven, but the next day they'll start bringing heaven to earth. That's what it is. That's how it happens. That's how it comes about. It's really simple. It doesn't take any money. It'll take some of your time and your intentionality, but it'll transform the world. I've told you these numbers before, so sorry to relay it again. I've also learned that in the last 18 years of being in full-time pastoral ministry, I can say things hundreds of times. And then a guest speaker comes and they say it once and it's like pff, revelation bombs. I'm like, yeah, wow. So I'm sure, I mean, it's like parenting. It's all this, you know, it's just, yep. Um, if you take one person, if, you, if all you did is say, I'm gonna disciple one person a year, for the next 20 years, okay? One person here for the next 20 years and I'm gonna train them to make disciples, okay? So we're just gonna get together, we might get together weekly, we're gonna study the Bible, we're gonna commit to living out the commands of Jesus and we're gonna invite Holy Spirit to be transforming us, changing us into His likeness, okay? If you did that over a 20 year period, have a guess how many people, just think in your mind, I wonder how many people would be discipled just by just by my initiation, not by me, but by my initiation. It's 1.034 something, something, something million people in 20 years. Yeah. So I disciple one person. The next year, we each disciple one person. And the year after that, those four people disciple one person. 20 years over a million people. I think it's 35 years and the entire population of the world would be saved, initiated by one person making disciples who make disciples. So simple and yet so often missed. Cities are transformed when we bind up the brokenhearted. <laughs> Again, when we talk about a larger house, when we talk about the transformation centre, these are things that we're doing that are binding up broken hearts, which is part of what Jesus declared from Isaiah when he opens up the scroll and it's like the, the beginning and that initiation of this is what I'm here for. This is what the kingdom looks like when it comes to earth is that the brokenhearted are, are healed, they're restored. 
but it's heart to heart. It's person to person being, again, discipleship, part of discipleship is that you're being sanctified into the likeness of Jesus, amen? All right, it comes by serving those in need. It's feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, housing the homeless. And again, if you wanna read Isaiah 58, I won't go all through it now, but it talks about the true and better fast and what it looks like. And it is all about serving the poor, loving the broken in your neighbourhood. And when you do that, that's when the Lord says, your light shall break forth like the dawn, your healing shall spring up speedily, your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So we see, we understand that there's actually something in as we pour our lives into the lowest, God raises up the profile of His kingdom in a city. God can make Himself known at any time, radically make Himself known, but He doesn't. He's, he's waiting to make Himself known through you, through us. But as we serve those in need, and again, it's what we're doing, we have things like the crew in the Transformation Centre, the different things that we're doing is we're loving the broken in our city. But through that, because it's God's heart to do that, we're gonna see breakthroughs start to happen. We're gonna think, see things start to open up and be transformed. I love um, you know, chatting with uh, so Amy and myself and, uh, and Greg, and, and we, we meet and talk about the Transformation Centre stuff, but Greg's meeting with the local council in Rockingham and they are, there's this favour that's upon, upon the crew, the ministry, and the council looks to it and it's like, we want to help you in what you're doing. This is what it looks like when the kingdom starts to come to a city is when the local government starts to look to the church for breakthrough and transformation and support in people's lives. It's happening. It's already happening. And this has been years of people serving and pouring out into people's lives, okay? Without any recognition, I'm sure the countless hours and investment that people have made, okay? And now all of a sudden the, the local government's saying, you guys are doing a good work. That's how it should be. The church should be such an important resource that the government doesn't look to go, oh, look, how do we, this annoying church. They're like, we need the church in this city. I, I, am, I envisage the day where local council will start contacting churches in other cities and say, would you come and plant a church in our city? Would you come and, and, and do the same thing in, in our city? We need the church in our city. Churches working together, unified, not to build their own little empire, but to see the kingdom of God come to partner together in that way. It's signs, wonders and miracles. Every time Jesus proclaimed the gospel, He demonstrated the gospel. He proclaimed the good news of His kingdom coming and He demonstrated it is here. And that came about signs, wonders and miracles. The sick getting healed, the dead being raised, demons being cast out. It's the crazy charismatic signs and wonders stuff which shouldn't be the crazy charismatic signs and wonders stuff. It should be normal Christianity because that's what Jesus did and that's what He calls us to do. So if you're, if you're less on the charismatic side and you're more over the conservative side, can I please encourage you to just to read your Bible and look for what Jesus did and go and do what He did. Because He did crazy, miraculous things. You don't have to be a charismatic to believe that. I mean, what is a charismatic anyway? That's just labels and things we put on people. 
Charis is the word grace. That's where we get it from. And it's the grace, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. So if we're not operating in the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, I don't know what we're doing. Because it's not gonna be very impressive. How is the city transformed? It's transformed by simple, everyday interactions with people that reflect the heart of God. So you'll be, oh, signs and wonders and miracles. Wow, wow man, like starting up a, a crazy big outreach ministry or doing these things, I can't do that. But you know what? You can be nice to people. You can be kind. You can be loving. I believe you can, I really do. I believe in you, I have faith. I haven't seen it, no, no. <laughs> but it is, it's that sort of stuff. It's just, when Jesus says, love your neighbour, it's literally loving your neighbour. And if you hate your neighbour, deal with it. <laughs> and then go, God, give me a love for this person that's unlovable. Because Jesus literally outlines that. Anyone can love those who are lovely. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, yeah? It's that sort of stuff. That's how the kingdom comes. It's just being like Jesus, loving people, reflecting the heart and the nature of God. It's little stuff like, I mean, that's just not talking me up, okay? But it's like I was at Spud Shed yesterday and seeing a lady in the disabled bay and she had put her trolley and said, hey, can I grab, can I take your trolley back for you? Oh, thank you, you know. It's like a little thing like that, which really inconvenienced me in such a small way. And yet I know it's the heart of God to love in simple little ways like that. I think that's what Jesus would have done. And so I know it's like, oh, that's your heart, God, to do that. It was a mild inconvenience, but still I could have done without the inconvenience. But my eyes are on how can I love? How can I serve? How can I help? How can I do those little things that actually make a big difference ultimately? Because if every one of us was doing those things, if every one of us was kind and generous and loving to people, that in and of itself will transform a city. A city is transformed by us being, again, the leaven of the kingdom. Now, I didn't say when I took that lady's trolley, oh, can I lead you in a prayer of salvation, ma'am? You know, well, I'll take your trolley if you, if you would uh, come to church with me on Sunday. Um, you know, can I, can I swap a trolley for a Bible tract, you know, to, can I share the good news, you know? It wasn't because I, I was, I'm proclaiming the gospel by how I'm living my life. I'm, I'm being the intercession of God by how I live a transformed life by His power, by His heart. It's not my heart, it's God's heart that's been formed and merged with my heart and my old heart has died and his new heart is being formed in me. Doesn't mean I'm, I, sometimes I choose to not do those things and I can be selfish. But I'm, I'm seeing it's in those small moments and that is the leaven of the kingdom. It doesn't come in. Brad Joss is here, Christian, extraordinaire. I've come to serve you and administer the kingdom. Let me take your trolley. You know? <laughs> Leaven is really unspectacular. And yet, it makes a massive difference to the end product. We talk about leaven in bread. It's like, well, without it, I've seen pictures of leavened bread versus unleavened bread. I'm like, 
I like leavened bread. It's good. It's plump and fluffy. It's not just like flat and chewy or something, but you know, it's like it, it is. It's, it's those simple little things. So everyone is without excuse. You can all be carriers and bringers of the kingdom. And the reality is it's everyone doing their part. Every little bit counts. It's every prayer. It's every blessing. It's every act of kindness and service. It's every time we gather in worship. It's every time we scatter as worshipers. In every moment, God's kingdom is coming. God wants to see this city transformed and He wants to use His church to do it. Alan Hirsch says, within the local church, God has established it with the resources, all the resources that are required for global transformation. The church is God's plan A and He has no plan B. It's us. Look around the room, it's each one of us. How's your kingdom gonna come? We're just gonna pray and hopefully God will bring His kingdom. Well, God's praying the same prayer to you. (laughs) Yeah? He's praying, oh, when will my church rise up and be who I've called her to be, this glorious bride, not sitting around waiting for me to do what I've commanded her to do. And for us, you know, we don't just have a a biblical mandate to do this as every church, but we have a specific one that God has prophetically declared over us through numerous prophetic words from people who don't know us. So uh, September 11, 2011, we received a word from a guy called Bob Hazlett. I was at a conference up at Churchland's Christian Fellowship, never met the dude, and he just called me out and pointed at me. It's a long prophetic word, but I've put together just a little snippet that speaks of our relationship and our serving of those locally. And uh, so I'm just gonna, just, we'll play that for you to listen to. I thank you for keys, Lord, for building. God, I thank you for keys. And God's going to give you even like a residential home where I see women coming off the streets and prostitutes coming off the streets. And I see them coming out of jail. And I see them coming to a place where they don't even have a place to live. And God's going to give you like apartment buildings and flats where people can stay. Where you're going to, res- you're going to restore people's lives. So God's giving you the keys, not just to places, but He's giving you the keys to people's hearts. So God, I thank you right now. The city is going to even see what you're doing and say, we want to come alongside of you and do something for you. They're going to say, we got this abandoned property. If you can do something with it, you can just have it. And you can restore it. And you're going to restore those, those broken down places. You're going to restore the age-old foundation. And I see you like taking a place filled with graffiti and just covering it with his glory. So God, I thank you in Jesus' name. Come on, you've got to stop. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, that Isaiah 58 was a, a word that God gave to me. And, uh, and it talks about, and literally the end of that passage that I've been reading from, um, talks about you're gonna restore the age on foundations. Um, <clears throat> I love that. You're gonna take a place filled with graffiti and just cover it with his glory. But he literally knew nothing of me. And this is right at the beginning of our, of our church journey. It's almost 10 years ago. And we're starting to see, again, a new layer of that fruit uh, being released in this community. Like we're literally, because of what we're doing with the Transformation Centre up on the top of the property and there's renovations and we've got to do change of usage um, stuff and go through the council. And the council is saying to us, we want to see this happen. How can we help you to make this happen? That's, cr- that's craziness. But it's literally, so then they're organising meetings with head people 
to say, how can, how can we get this going? And they're supporting us along the journey. They are supporting the church, a local church, to see this transformation centre, which was a vision in God's heart, which He put in Amy's heart, and He spoke a prophetic word to me through somebody else about it, like literally spoke about it. And now we're seeing the city come alongside you and say, hey, how can we help support what you're doing? And this is again, just the beginning. Because again, what God does there is gonna be a prototype for all of the next thing that He does. But we need to be dreaming into what would it look like for our city to be transformed? What would it look like? And again, you might not live in this city. I don't live in the city of Rockingham, but that's where God has placed us as a church. And I begin this where God is going to begin this work that's going to expand. I live in the next city over. And some of you live in the city of Mandra. Some of you live in way north of the city. Um, but wherever you're placed, God has a mandate for that place to see it transformed. The city should be looking to the church for how society should run. The city should be looking at to how they can resource the church because they're on the forefront of city and cultural transformation. The city should be concerned about the welfare of the church because they know that if the church doesn't thrive, the city won't survive. But I don't think that's how many local governments look at the church. They probably look at the church as being irrelevant, just this kind of you know, fringe group over there that, I mean, it's good that they do their church kind of thing, but so what? So when I talk about our church, I'm talking about the church in this city and beyond. It's like, we've got to understand that we're supposed to be reflecting this light of heaven, this light of the kingdom to the world around us. The Bible says, you know, let your good works shine before others so that the Lord might reveal Himself to them. Is there something in us that we, we get to reflect the goodness of God? We get to reflect the Kingdom of God through small interactions, through radical interactions. But what needs to change for this to become a reality for us? What needs to change in our hearts and in our minds for us to grasp this vision that God has? What needs to change in our understanding of even why, what the church exists for? Maybe we think, well, it's just there so we can come along and gather and sing some songs and learn a bit more about the Bible and then we go about our everyday lives. That's not how I see the church and that's not how I see this time. This time is that we get to be equipped so as we go, because the majority of our time is spent outside of the four walls of this place. It's in neighbourhoods, it's in families, it's in workplaces, it's in schools and universities. And that's where God wants His Kingdom to come. And that's why He has placed you in those places to see the Kingdom of God come. What needs to change in our prayer life or in our daily behaviour to start to see these things build momentum and bring about change? Amen? Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, we acknowledge, Father, that this vision is way beyond our capacity. 
But Lord, you know that it is. We know that it is, Lord. But Father, I pray that you would ignite, stir up, maybe just refire that passion and that vision that we might see your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord. In the places that we live, maybe just within our families, Lord, where there is brokenness, where there is division and disconnection, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you bring your kingdom into that place, Lord? Father, in our neighbourhoods, Lord, when there might be brokenness or addiction or chaos, domestic violence, different things happening even just around us, Lord, we need your kingdom to come. We need your will to be done. We need the atmosphere of heaven to crash in, Lord. We do pray, Father, even for our neighbours and those in our city, Lord, that they would begin to have dreams about You, God. That they'd be visited by the angelic, Lord, in the nighttime, Father. That You would stop the hand, Father, of those who are doing evil and wrong in our city, Lord. Not that they might be punished, but that they might be redeemed, Father. You look upon the broken, Lord. You look upon those who would be doing evil acts, God, and your heart breaks for them, Lord, because you know you did not create them for that purpose, Lord. But your desire is to transform. Your desire is to redeem. Your desire is to restore. Would you give us your heart, Father? We need your heart, Father God, that looks upon creation and doesn't get angry and bitter, but weeps and has compassion, Lord. And that compassion would be moved to action. Even Jesus, as you were going to be with the Father and you saw the broken people on the shore and you redirected your path, Lord, because you were stirred with compassion, God. Father, that we would be stirred with compassion for our city that we would be stirred with compassion for our neighbours in our neighbourhood, Lord, that we'd be stirred with compassion for our colleagues at work, Father, and our workplaces, Lord, that we'd be stirred with Your heart, Father, Your heart of redemption, God, and that You would give us a vision, Lord. You would give us courage to start living out and walking in the fullness of what You have called us to, Lord. That, Father, we would be invited and we would invite others into discipling relationships, Lord. That we'd make that call, that we would pray that prayer, that we would do that act, Lord. That would change a place, that would change a person, that would move someone from where they are to where You want them to be, God. Let us be burdened by what burdens You, Lord. We invite Your burden, Lord. But it's not a a heavy burden that we have to carry, Lord, but what it does is it will stir us, Lord, into action. When we feel that burden, it stirs us, Lord, to act in prayer, to act in how we live and how we love and how we speak, God. And Father, we repent for where we have let the culture be transformed by others, Lord. Where we have not taken our seat in governing and ruling and reigning with You, Jesus. Not that we might lord power over people, God, but we might administer the Kingdom of God into every sphere as we serve, as we love and as we lead others, God. 
Open our eyes to see what You see, God. Stir up in us that faith, Lord, that even though we might not see it today, Lord, we know that You're gonna bring it about. We know You're going to bring it about, Lord. We have faith that You will finish the work that You have started, Lord. But we say yes to You, God. We say yes to You, Lord. Would You give Him your yes today? You might be scared, you might be, you not know what it's gonna look like. It's okay, God is good. And He's working out all things for your good, so you need not worry, but you've gotta give Him your yes, otherwise He will let you stay where you are. He will not violate your will. He will let you stay seated when He's calling you to stand. But Father, where You are calling us to stand, Lord, that You'd give us the grace and the courage to stand, Lord. We are calling us to run, Lord, that You'd give us the grace and the courage and the energy to run, Lord. Father, would You give us like a childlike, giddy excitement that we're gonna see You do amazing things, Lord. We're so excited about what You're gonna do, Lord. And we're so excited, Lord, that we won't be sitting on the sidelines, Lord. We'll be in the game with You, God that we won't be celebrating on behalf of, of another group or a team that's playing, Lord, but we'd be in the game, Father, exhilarated, Lord, by seeing You kick the goal, Lord, and celebrating all the good things that You're gonna do, Lord. There are no spectators in Your Kingdom. There's only players. And we thank You, Lord, You've invited us. We say yes to You and You will supply all that we need. And Lord, we get to do it with You. We get to do it with You, God. What a joy that we get to do it with You, Lord. Arm in arm. As Jesus only did what He saw the Father doing, Lord, it means everything that He did, He got to do with You. So we thank You, Lord. Everything that we will do for You, we get to do with You. So good, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Just pray a blessing, Father, over each one here, those who couldn't make it today, Lord. We thank You, Lord, that Your face shines upon us, Lord. Your goodness is directed towards us, Lord. You've made Your home in us and that we might go into this coming week empowered, inspired, and invigorated by Your presence, Holy Spirit. We love You, God. Amen.